There's no way I would have taken the risk I took with our church if I hadn't practiced trusting God with my money for all these many years. It played a part in it. It played a part in it. You don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and say, mountain move. Jesus said, speak to the mountain and without doubt in his heart and you'll see the mountain move. Man, you don't start that way. You start with, Lord, give me strength to get out of bed and get out on time. Lord, help me brush my teeth. We start out with the simple mundane things before God in God's presence. And over time, something begins to happen. We get built up. One way the scripture puts it is the exercising of our faith. When we do anything God has told us to do, that's called worship. It's also called obedience. It means that just like when I go into the gym, when I start lifting weights, there is a specific place that challenges me. And over time, as I exercise that, as I exercise that, what happens? I get stronger. And then I am able to do what? Lift more. It's the same principle spiritually. It's the same principle in our relating with God. Uh, the clip you heard is from last, well, it's our first installment in the series, in the thought, In God We Trust. And so that's available in the description box. If you didn't catch that message, you definitely want to catch it. Um, but today I get to put down the second installment in this thought. Somebody say, In God, in God we trust. In God we trust. Yeah, that's the overall kind of thought we're in. But today, we're drilling in into this title, this title, When Limitations, When Limitations Become Invitations. When Limitations Become Invitations. If you're in the chat room, you know what to do. Help me, help me out a little bit. Help me preach this this morning. When Limitations Become Invitations invitations. Yeah. If you're sitting beside somebody, just tell them this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Listen up. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. <laughs> well, we are going to be in a text today that is really challenging. It's a very difficult text. Why is it difficult? Why is it challenging? It's because it deals with miracles and puts out this whole narrative of when Jesus is doing life with the disciples and they come upon a, a moment and the disciples are charged with the task of feeding over 5,000 people, of feeding over 5,000, in this case, men, as recorded in the scripture, some would say as high as 13,000. Can you imagine being with Jesus one day? He turns to you and he says, I need you to feed a certain part of Northwest Pasadena. Ready, go. We're not going to hop into the text the way I really want to hop into the text, but I, I just feel like we've got to feel it because this thing is really challenging. It might sound like a Sunday school lesson or a Sunday school story, but it's more than that because it's the Word of God. If you don't believe this particular miracle, that's okay because you can still extract lessons from it. You can still say, well, I don't know if I really believe X, Y, Z, or the other, but there's still, a, some would say, moral to the story. But I would challenge you to look past just the moral of the story and go to the miracle worker, the way maker, the promise keeper, God, who works the miracle. Now, we call it a miracle, but we know God's just being God. God's just being God. God's like, this is nothing for me. It's something for you all, but it's nothing. It's nothing for God. So as we move into this thought a little bit, I want to talk briefly about something that some of you might be familiar with. You might not be familiar, but it's because we're dealing with belief in God and belief in this miracle worker. It's called Pascal's Wager. Pascal's wager. Uh, some of you remember Pascal from school. Pascal, 17th century, what, philosopher, mathematician, physicist, theologian, smart guy. <laughs> smart guy. And he had a claim that many of us came to many years ago, and some of us, this might be the first time we come to a claim like this. It's the, well, if there is a God, if there is a God, I probably want to live like there is one. 
That's the simplified way of talking about Pascal's wager. But I encourage you to go check it out, do some more digging, see what his argument was, and then see how some people said, hey, you know, um, I don't know how I'm feeling about Pascal's wager. But Pascal said what you and I came to a long time ago. If there is a God, I might better, old school would say, I might better serve him. I might better. (laughs) I might better, I might better serve him. Now, Some of you will be able to see and others won't, but the psalmist said it this way. The psalmist said, good morning. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 19.1. The heavens are telling. The heavens are telling of what? God's glory or the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. The sky above proclaim his handiwork. So just do me a flavor if you can. Just look up into the sky Some of you are being blocked by this cool little shade right here. But for those of you who can't, just look up to the sky. The scripture says, the psalmist is telling us that that sky and those clouds, this atmosphere in the heavens above are giving witness, giving a gospel proclamation of the glory of God. That that sky is not just there because it's there, but that sky is there because a creator put that sky there. So if I'm wondering whether or not I'm going to believe in miracles or believe in the God of miracles, I have to go to, wait a minute, who is the creator of all things? I never heard a song that didn't have a songwriter. I never heard a song that didn't. They might not know. Sometimes back in the day, you'd see an inscription listed on a song that says unknown, unknown. But somebody knew that somebody wrote that song. Everything that is created Everything that is created has a creator. Oh, but one. Oh, but one. Oh, but one. His, his name is God. God, the uncreated one. God, the causeless cause. God. God before all things. God. Somebody say God. So if you are going on in your journey of faith and you begin to wonder if there is a God. If you were talking with friends at school or if you are talking with people at work and they're talking about, man, I don't believe in God. Well, they have to they, they have to refute a lot of different evidence. They have to refute creation to deny God. And so it's super important that as we lean in that, huh, am I going to let this be this moment's reading? Am I going to let this be more than a story, more than what some would consider a fable? with a good moral to it. It's not a fable, but depending on where you are and how you relate with it, it it might be that. So I want to put that in your consideration this morning. Are you with me? That's good. So Pascal's wager goes on to talk about how, okay, well then if there is a God and he posits that there is one, so what do I do with him? What do I do with him? We trust him. We trust him. Um, I, I said it like this. You can look at the screen. Neutrality, neutrality won't build trust in God. Choosing to go on the journey with God will. Neutrality won't build trust in God. Pastor, what are you saying about that? I'm saying that we choose one way or the other to choose God. And sometimes we say, well, I don't know if this really God. And I don't know this. And, and I don't know that. And well, you know, well, the, in the science and all this of all these excuses we come up with. Because sometimes we don't want to actually step into commitment of trust. And by not stepping into commitment with trust, we are actually choosing to not trust God at all. And I'm submitting to you this morning, that is not the place for us to be. Pascal's wager would say the same. So with that in mind, let's read into this miracle a little bit. Let's read into this a little bit. We'll start at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, 
You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. That's out of Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. Let's pray into it. Lord, we need your help. We thank you for the strength that you give us. Let your word change our minds. And by changing our minds, help us to be effective in how we parent, in how we husband, in how we serve our community. Help us, God. Help us. Bring it right where we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's so many tasty morsels in this passage. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to be on. I'm succinct today. I got my notes here. I'm so you ready for this? Somebody say verse 34. Verse 34 reads like this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Did you see this right here? He saw the great crowd, as we see all throughout the scripture. He sees the crowd in this the Bible records he had compassion on them. He had, somebody say compassion. He had compassion on them. Why? He says because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. But his response, I love this. He said, I had compassion. So he taught. Compassion and truth-telling. Compassion and equipping. Compassion and making a difference to build people up so that they could what do the same with others. We have a lot of things going on in the world under the banner of compassion. But the word of God says that when Jesus saw the people, he said, I'm going to have compassion on them by what? Teaching them. Giving them truth before what? Before he does a miracle. But there's something going on in the world and in the church even where the agenda is, let's go out there and do all this stuff. And we're not going to teach people how to really live. We're not going to teach people what's pleasing to God. We're not going to give them the intention of God because we're compassionate. We're just going to say anything you want to do is okay because we're compassionate. That's not compassion. (laughs) I got one amen clap and I heard a few voices. All under the banner of social justice. Oh, I hope somebody can hear me this morning. We just want to do, do, do. Oh, well, this is how this person feels at this, that, and the other. So we're going to just do, do, do. And we're going to do it to the exclusion of truth. That is not compassion. So when you see, you're seeing a lot of stuff these days under the umbrella of Compassion or social justice are these terms. Lean in in it. (laughs) Like, now, wait a minute. We want to help and be a blessing, but what is going on now? This is super. This is super. This is super important. When Jesus saw the crowd, he said they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them. He gave them God's intention. I thought the church was supposed to be good at teaching the kingdom of God and the ways of God. That's what I I thought. 
Because Jesus would give us all these prescriptives for how to operate in his kingdom. Some of us call it the Beatitudes. Some of us call it a conduct, a way of living. He said, if you're going to operate or flow in the kingdom of light, this is what it looks like to operate in my kingdom. Thus, this is what it looks like to have compassion coming out of you because you are following my way. My way. The church is supposed to be good at teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. I pray we would never be a church that gets the order mixed up. Oh, I pray in Jesus' name. And I pray that as Jesus' followers, we don't ever get the script twisted about we've got to do, we've got to do, we've got to do, we've got to do to the, at the expense of what did Jesus teach? <laughs> yeah, I got two, two claps. Okay, some affirming there. That's good. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. That helped the preacher know, okay, we're on the same page. Isn't that important? Oh, my goodness. He had compassion on them, so he taught them. Thank you, Lord. Compassion. Looks different ways. Some of you have different ex- experiences with compassion. Some of you have, uh, just relating with me, uh, some of you have encountered me with compassion where God's spirit, um, describing it this way, where as if God's spirit comes upon me and then as his spirit comes upon me, maybe I'm looking at you or I'm talking to you and then I burst into tears. That's one type of compassion. Some of you are familiar with that. Then there's that type of compassion that, from the inside, how can they do that with your insides? What did they do? And you, compassion deep on the inside of your belly. And you say, I have to do something. I have to be a part of the solution. I just can't see this. And it's okay. No, on the inside, that compassion. It's the compassion that Jesus experienced because when he was outside the tomb of Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, get up out of that tomb. You're not supposed to be dead, Lazarus. Uh, come forth, Lazarus. That type of inward compassion. And compassion can look different ways. It can look different ways. One of, one of the ways compassion hit my heart recently um, was with the Bobcat fires last year. The Bobcat fires last year. Last September 6th, basically through the 19th. Many of you know that we were in the evacuation stage for those, for those fires. We lived in Monrovia at the time. And, and, you know, it's one thing to hear about that, and we're getting ready and all the plans, and we're evacuating all this. But one day I was leaving the bridge, and I was headed back home. And um, as I was pulling back to get to the house, I was pulling on the street, and I looked up at those foothills. And it was the dark, and they were ablaze. I had never seen anything in terms of a natural disaster that terrific to me. And I wasn't even that super close to it, but I was close enough to it where all I could do was pull over on the side of the road and just weep. Because it was, I'd never seen anything truly scary. (laughs) Like, it was like, (laughs) it gave me a whole new understanding of what the scriptures say when it say, God is an all-consuming fire. Gave me a different understanding because I had never encountered fire like that. We'll, we'll talk about that some other day. But when I pulled over on the side of the road, all I could do was just weep. Because I saw the fire. I was like, this is terrific. This is terror. This is terrible. And so that got me to praying. That got me praying. Uh, some of you were around, but years earlier than that, from last year, there were some fires that have impacted some folks who were connected to Bridge, and we were preparing to open our building so that people who, could, who didn't have a place to go could crash here at the bridge for a while. It didn't end up happening, but we made preparation because we said, well, how do we be part of the solution? These people are being pushed out of their homes by these fires. Well, uh, some of you were around for that. But what happened in me was a prayer. Okay, Lord, I'm seeing this. What, do you, what, 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 what am I supposed to do? What, 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 what can we do? How are these fires still going after all these uh, days, day after day after day after day? So I believe I got the answer of what to do in that prayer. When I met with uh, Pastor Jeanette and Carlos, maybe about a month later, we were here in the auditorium and we were about to... Uh, 
Pastor Jeanette was about to teach, and I was describing the experience that I had, that I had just shared with you. I was describing that to them. And then it was like in this moment, that compassion of God thing comes on me again, and they're beginning to tell me about how they knew people impacted by the volcanoes. The volcanoes. Um, all these things begin to hit me. Uh, one of our uh, Bridge fam has a ministry in Philippines. Karina has a ministry in Philippines. All this stuff hit, and I just felt like, okay, I'm supposed to help this church. We got to help this church here in the Philippines. We got to help this church. And so it's with that that I want you to take a look. We're going to have basically like a little commercial. I want you to see what we're doing. Some of you already know about this, but for those of you who don't, I want to tell you about how we're going to help a, ch a church ministry called JCLGGM have their comeback this Easter. Take a look at the screen. And for those of you who can't look at the screen, make sure you listen closely to what's being said. A local church ministry in Quezon City, Manila, Philippines, has been faithfully serving its community and congregation for almost 10 years, having fed thousands of children and families in poverty. They do this every week. Quezon City has a population of 2.9 million people, which is a little bigger than the population of Chicago. The name of this local church in Quezon City is called Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, Global Ministries, JCL, GGM. In addition to the global coronavirus pandemic that has impacted us all, the Philippines, a small country made up of islands, has been impacted by natural disasters. A volcano erupted on January 12, 2020, damaging houses, blocking roads, interrupting power and water supply, and halting airport services, displacing more than half a million people. In 2020 alone, they've experienced horrible air quality, typhoons, cyclones, floods, and earthquakes. These catastrophes and the global pandemic has only made it harder for them to bounce back. Local churches are cities on a hill and can use all the support they can get to shine the light of Christ and love people in their city. The local church in Quezon City, JCLGGM, could use our help. We can be part of their comeback story by helping them feed their local community and congregation, not only physical food, but the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, food for the eternal soul. As a church, on Easter Sunday, our Jesus goal is to give $10,000 above and beyond our faithful giving, what we call the Extra Love Fund, to encourage them on in feeding the poor and reaching their community and congregation as their city is being rebuilt and recovering. Easter is about Christ's comeback, His death burial and resurrection. His comeback is our comeback and their comeback too. Prayerfully consider what you would like to do to share in helping this local church ministry in Quezon City, Metro Manila, Philippines, JCLGGM, experience their comeback story this Easter 2021. So last week we shared that we would just give more details on it. So that's what that is. And you'll be hearing more about that. Prayerfully consider what compassion looks like, how we would be part of their comeback um, on Easter Sunday. That's Sunday, April 4th, 2021. Now, let's move further into this passage at verse 37. But he answered them. Jesus answered the disciples who were like, you want us to go to the marketplace and get some bread and get some groceries and get some supplies? And he said, no, no, no. You give them something to eat. <laughs> right, G-Lo? That's right. So you with me. That's exactly. It was like, now wait, what? Jesus, you see all these people? You know they're hungry. They've been here listening to you teach for hours. You know these people are hungry. Jesus says, you, give them something to eat. I'm looking at Liz because she knows about feeding lots of people. <laughs> and for that matter, so does Dad. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? 
I don't know. What thoughts would first come to your mind? Jesus is standing there, and he's saying to you, Aaron, okay, no, you guys, give them something to eat. Give Northwest Pasadena something to eat. Give this region something to eat. What comes to your mind? Nothing but limitations, right? Nothing but voices that say, oh, he's overdone it. Jesus is, oh, okay. We've seen some awesome things from him, but on this one, I think he's missed it. Nothing but excuses and limitations. Nothing but all of these reasons to not want to believe. That's what, what kind of hit us, depending on what part of the day you were talking to us on. Am I right about it? He said, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it, to, give it to them to eat? And the answer to that question was no. Here's a, here's a message. Turn off the cruise control. Turn off the cruise control of limited thinking, excuse making, and blaming. Turn off the cruise control of limited thinking, excuse making, and blaming. Repeat that after me. Turn off the cruise control of limited thinking, excuse making, and blaming in every area of our life. Because what Jesus is dealing with here in one part has to do with resources. He's dealing with the resources that they have at their disposal. And he's challenging them in that moment. Look at what you have. Look at what you have. Look at what you give them something to eat. But Lord, I'm not enough. I'm not as talented as that person. I'm not as smart as this person. I'm not as strong as that person. I'm not as brave as that person. I'm not as this or that as that. All those thoughts come up, and some of us have worn those thoughts for so long that they're in cruise control for us. And anytime God is coming to disrupt us and give us the opportunity to participate with him, we miss him because we've already got our excuses. We've already got our blaming. We've already got our reasons. Oh, I can't, I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. I've never. And some of, us get, some of us are far enough along in it that we say it, but a lot of us don't. We just have it in the attitude of our heart. Oh, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. No, 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 no. You should get that church. You should get that couple to do it. You should get those people to do it. But Jesus gives the disciples a command. You give them something to eat. It wasn't a suggestion. Jesus was not having a reasoning moment with his disciples. He was not sitting there going, what do you guys think about, you know, you all possibly going to feed these 5,000 men and um, these children and these families. <laughs> Are you trucking with me? <laughs> but we get on cruise control in our limited thinking about how we view our resources, so we discount ourselves. We don't get to participate in things, certain things that God's doing because we've already pre-decided that we can't participate. Oh, well, I don't know. The scripture says something interesting. He said, we walk by, yeah, and not by well-meaning Jesus followers miss opportunities to partner with God because we're walking by sight and not by faith. We're not walking by what the Lord has actually said. We're not walking by his purpose. We're walking by, we've already pre-decided that, well, I have this much more and that's it and blah. I'm trying. Yes, 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 yes. And it's so dangerous. I don't know about you guys, but I'm 41 right now. And I just think when I'm at the part of my life. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit has, I have this in me a little bit anyway. But I think about this. I think about the dash. I was born 1979, dash. I don't know the day of when it's going to end. But I think about the dash, and I'm just old enough now where it's like, I'm tired of counting myself out. I'm tired of saying what I can't participate in. I'm tired of saying that I can't be a part of what God said I'm supposed to be a part of, that he's commanded me to be. I'm tired of making excuses for certain things in my marriage. I'm tired of making excuses for certain things in my business. I'm tired of making excuses for certain things in my school because I'm seeing my resources in a limited way. 
I'm seeing that, oh, I don't have enough, nor am I enough. That's a lie. The Lord said, you give them something to eat. And if we limit this just to finances, we're really missing it. Because the first thing I go to when I'm thinking about this is time. Do I have time? Will I have time? Will I have time? Some of us might think, do I have money? Do I have money? Whatever, whatever particular resource. Do I have enough skill? Do I have enough talent? Do I have enough know-how? Do I have enough this? Whatever you're filling the blank is. But this parable in part, excuse me, this story deals with resources and trusting God with what his command is. You give them something to eat. Well, pastor, can you come to my company and do some devotionals over X, Y, and Z, this, sort or the other? Well, sure, I'm happy to do that. But have you done any devotionals at your company? We all got the same Holy Spirit. We all got the same Bible. Those people know you better than they know me. I'm happy to serve any way I can. But what about you? Well, pastor, can you? Well, yeah, I mean, I can, but uh, what have you done? (laughs) What have you done? I want to make sure that you have not discounted yourself. We cannot discount ourselves. But we are in the autopilot of doing so. So when opportunities come our way that don't look a certain way, instead of doing what the scripture says, we've just already pre-decided, oh, that's not for me. It's dangerous. And the church does it like so bad. We got the power, I'm gonna say it the old school. We got the power of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so how do I get out of that? We have to ask God for wisdom in how to participate with him. We have not because we ask. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. For the rest of my life, for the rest of our lives, may we be a people who say, God, before I say no, before I say uh, no for you, let me actually ask you, let me actually pray, let me actually consider in your presence how I might be able to partner. I want to do anything you're doing because you're awesome and you're loving, Lord. I want to be a part. So God, don't let me say, oh, no. I can't help out with this particular thing because I already know I don't have enough and I am not enough. We might not say those exact root things, but we have our versions of how we just completely miss having what's called a relationship with God and saying, well, God, this person asked me to do this. I don't know. That's me to pray. But like, I don't I don't know. So can we? How could it work? How could I partner with your spirit? How could I be part of, is it, is it moving something around? Is it, is it making a different set of decisions? I don't know. I, God, I, I don't really know if you have this for me, but before I say no for you, I want to at least have the conversation with you. I want to have the conversation with you. If we as a church are a people that ask God and not just go on our autopilot of assumption, oh my goodness. <laughs> Thanks. The things that God would do in us and through us. You give them something to eat. Oh, Lord. uh, You guys know how much I love our church. Uh, Oh, we have got to get to church on Sunday. Well, that's good. That's part of the spiritual strategy that God's given. Uh, But if you didn't get to church, you can feed your family. You can feed your family. You can sit down in that B-I-B-L-E and say, here, this is what the word says. This is brief. Let's pray into it. God bless you. Amen. That's church for right now. We'll make it over to the bridge next week. Oh, but I didn't. I haven't served in this thing. I don't have these degrees and I haven't done that. Discounting, discounting discounting ourselves, discounting ourselves, discounting ourselves, discounting ourselves. This is not the church that is trying to create a codependent relationship with you ever. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here we're raising up leaders. Go and crush it. Go and crush it. And let's come in together and let's combine strength. Let's combine strength. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh, my goodness. This came to me last Sunday. We were praying in our worship time last Sunday. And this, the Lord started working on this, this thought in me as I was, as I was praying. We were, we were here all together. And so I went home later that day, and I was having a time with the Lord, just hanging out with him. I was thanking him. If you caught the message about how I opened my spirit to God, uh, that's, that's available. That's a, a few Sundays back. But when our spirit is open to God through thanksgiving, through giving God thanks, through giving God praise, we have what is a relationship with God. We relate with God. We're more open to God. We're more sensitive to his nudges. Because why? We're communicating, just like any healthy relationship. Got to communicate. And so I left on Sunday, and I had a time where I was just thanking God. I opened my spirit to God, and I was just thanking him for what I was seeing in the life of the church. And I was thanking him for some uh, peripheral things, some things maybe I'll share about some other time. And I was like, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for this. And, and we do that. And I was just, you know, going back and forth in that dance that, that you have where you just, oh, Lord, thank you. That could have sucked. And Lord, you know, the equipment didn't break that time. And thank you. I mean, I was just doing all that stuff. And then a picture came to me for our church. A picture came. Super great picture came in the context of worship, of communion with God that you, that, that, that you need. You don't need the picture so much as what the picture means, but check this out. Check this out. It's the picture here. going to show it to him. I just leave it right there. This wasn't the exact picture that came to me. This is just the closest picture that we could find that goes with Matthew 11 where Jesus makes this statement. The picture that came to me was the picture of an ox. <laughs> I know, right, Dan? I was like, well, okay. <laughs> That's real different, Lord. <laughs> That's real different. Real different. Okay, I get it. I get it. So let me share with you what this picture means in Scripture, what it means for us. Out of Revelation 4, chapter, Revelation chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, it's on the screen. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. Somebody say lion. The second living creature like an ox, say ox. The third living creature with the face of a man, say man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, say eagle. Awesome. Now, Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor. Hey, all who labor. All you who are working hard. All of you who are working diligently. All of you who are exerting yourself in effort and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Then one more, Proverbs 14, 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. You never heard about an ox on a Sunday morning, I know. I know I never have. <laughs> but this picture came and reminded me, in this time of worship, give this, impart this, release this at bridge, about how this ox, in this case, represented who? What did Revelation 4, 6 say? Those four faces, those living creatures. The ox. Ox represented Christ. I know. I know. You got read your, we read the Bible. We say, okay, I get it. The ox represented Jesus Christ. It was a picture of him. And then Matthew 11 gave us more details about what kind of ox it was. A lowly and gentle ox. Strong. Strong ox. But lowly and gentle. Now, there's a different ox in Scripture that is important for us to know about, too. We're not going to spend as much time there. Because Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And as soon as some of us hear an instruction, we get into a certain work mode that is toxic and that is dangerous. 
because I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out in an unhealthy way, in an idolatrous way. And we end up in roots and we end up in traps and we end up in ditches because we're approaching work like the world approaches and not the way that Jesus approaches work. Oh, it's, ah. And so he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me that there is an ox in scripture that is lowly and gentle and strong and determined. An ox that does the work, that continues to plow, that makes its way through the dirt, the muck, the mire, that makes its way through the weeds, that makes its way through fear, insecurity, and all those different negative things, confusion. There is an ox that is gentle that reminds us of Christ, but the scripture says that there is another kind of ox, Baal. Baal was an ox too. And for those of you who are familiar with occultic imagery and satanic imagery, the ox is also used satanically. So just because you see ox, I'm glad you would think Jesus Christ. But some people use that for uh, dark, dark stuff. And the scripture tells us how, where we begin to worship strength and we begin to worship self-reliance in a way that takes us from being yielded and submitted to God. So I want to do great things, but I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it in my own strength. I'm going to stress myself out. My hair is going to fall out. Nobody's going to like me. And I'm just going to, ah, because I've got to get to the top. And if it's not the best, then I don't want it. And it, the wrong spirit, it's the wrong spirit. It gets the church in trouble. Our code of living, our way of living is how? Kingdom. Meek and lowly. After you, Lord. Here, after you, sir. Man, after you. No, after you, go. No, 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 no. After you. I'm, I came to serve. I'm, I'm not coming to be the big guy. You, no, 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 no. You, 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 you. No, I came to serve. I'm trying to give my life. I'm trying to give myself away. No, I'm not looking for credit, props, or recognition. No, 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 no. I want God to get the glory. No, 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 no. Anything great we do is going to have to be done his way. Jesus will make these statements. Apart from me, you can do. What are you talking about, Jesus? I do stuff all the time. I do work all the time. He says that there is a work that we can do together, co-laboring together as oxen. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm lowly and gentle of spirit and of heart. He says there's a way that we can partner together where my strength is coming through you. My strength is fueling you. You're not going to have to white knuckle this. You're going to have to depend and surrender on me. Because I'm going to show you that I can work miracles in you and through you. You're not discounted because of your age or because of your gender. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, male, female, what part of the country you're from. We're not discounted. There is a way to take upon the yoke of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, flow through me. Lord, fuel, fuel me. This work has got to be done, but I don't have to have a heart attack to get this work done. I don't have to turn my marriage upside down to get this work done. I don't have to lose my relationships to get this work done. Yeah, Lord, I'm single-minded on you, but you have called me to partner with you in a way where I can go that full distance. So some of us in here always, have to, me included, we have to... Back up and say, Lord, need your help. I want the fruit of your spirit to show up in my dealings, in my working with people. If I'm going to crush it in Hollywood, I want them to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If I'm going to crush it in my marriage, if I'm going to serve my wife, I want her to see, oh, man, he is so tender. He is so loving. He is all these different qualities because I'm yielded to God. My kids, I want them to be like, man, you know, dad made it easy for us because he, he really just checked himself a lot with Jesus. He was really like, he, was, he knew that how we saw God in part had to do with how he treated us. So he just, he apologized. He was soft with us. He was gentle with us. He understood Lord, help us do great work and help us do it your way. All these miracles that you want to do through our church and that you want to do in our families and that you want to do in our workplaces. Lord, get the work done your way. Help us to enjoy you and enjoy your presence. Because look at this encouragement. 
Deuteronomy 33, 25 says, Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall your strength be. That is a promise to us. It's something that we need to hear this morning because every single challenge that we face, God has already assured us that there's going to be strength for every challenge. (laughs) Everything great, big, and miraculous I've called you to do, guess what? I've already made sure strength was was reserved for you. It's already there for you. I already got it for you. Oh, that thing you're going through. Hey, I've already given you strength that you need to make it all the way on the other side. You're going to come out victorious. You're going to come out victorious. You're going to get on the other side of this with my strength and with my help. Oh, as thy days are, so shall your strength be. Oh, my goodness. Somebody say the ox. Yeah, the ox is Jesus. And how he gave it to me to encourage us to not grow weary in our doing good. Don't grow weary in your doing good. Amen? For after a while, we'll reap if we faint not. If we, if we faint not. Lord, you want us to do all this big stuff in our families, with our kids, in these relationships, and even with our church. How are we going to do it? He said, we're going to do it together. You're going to talk to me all the way through it. You're going to take little moments and be like, hey, am I connected to you or what? Am I, like, missing it right now? <laughs> am I just doing my own thing? God, am I, really, am I aware of your strength? Am I aware of your presence? And this fuels our prayer life because we know that for every challenge we face, God has already reserved strength, supernatural strength. So when we pray, we say, Lord, hey, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Release your strength. Release it in me and through me. Release it on behalf of this situation, this challenge that I'm going through. Because, God, you already got it. You already got it. As your days are, so shall your strength be. So you come up on something tough. Oh, Ron Fletcher wrote it like this. You guys will hear it at some other point. I don't know when. She wrote it like this. And this was interesting. There was a time period in our church where several people, the Lord put this word in their mouths, and they were saying it to me completely disconnected from one another. We can do hard things maybe at some point we got to hear that song at some point hard things you say this is hard but wait god's giving me strength he's giving me strength i'm not going back away from the challenge i'm gonna lean into the challenge so i can see what god really want to do i want to see how many people can be impacted How many people can be blessed? Because I didn't run away from you. Give them something to eat. Thank you, Lord. And then lastly, in verse 40, one. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Look at what he did. He blessed and not cursed. He blessed and not cursed. This is huge. He blessed and not cursed. God, I don't know how much strength I have. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. This, that, or the other. Jesus blessed what was there and not cursed it. And as Jesus followers, oftentimes what we do is we just curse. We just curse. I hate this house. I hate this job. I hate this marriage. I can't stand these kids. All this just, oh, I can't, I hate my coworkers. We may not say hate, but our attitudes. They're saying it. They're saying, oh, I hate my body. I hate my age. I hate this stage in life. I hate this. I hate that. Jesus followers. I hate that. Just hating everything. Internal. I hate this. I hate that. Oh, man. I, I hate my height. I hate my hair. I hate my elbows. I hate my pinky toe. I mean, just. And those, and those things that we're hating, we're supposed to be saying, well, God, I just thank you I have a roof over my head. Lord, I thank you that I have enough health to be able to serve my family, serve my church. Lord, I thank you I have enough strength to be able to make it. We're supposed to be a people that bless God, bless what we do have. 
Lord, I thank you that, yeah, though we're not blah, 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 we're able to do what we can do. I thank you for that blessing. Lord, I'm going through a rough patch in this marriage, but I thank you, God, that I even have a marriage and that I thank you that your mercies are new over it. God, I thank you. I thank you for what is working right. I thank you for what is working well. I thank you that what, what you're doing, God, it is good. So help me bless it. And God says, as you begin to bless it and give it up to me, he said, I'm going to increase it. I'm going to increase it. <laughs> You're going to <laughs> God says, I'm going to increase it as you give it to me and say, God, I thank you. I bless you. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to backbite it. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to ridicule it. I'm going to say instead, Lord, I'll bless the Lord at all times. Your praise is going to keep being in my mouth because it's, because it's in my, it's in my heart. Check out what Jesus did. Some of y'all need to get real aggressive with this. Check out how Jesus did it here in Matthew 4, 4. Matthew 4, 4, for you note takers, those on the screen, for those of you who can see it. Matthew 4, 4, look at what Jesus did. Matthew 4 deals with the time when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into a wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Check out what Jesus did here. But he answered. Somebody say answered. My God. Answer. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, some of us heard it. But the part that is standing out for us, Bridge Church, is that he answered. But he answered. When we start saying things like, I hate where I am in this stage of my life. I hate my career. I hate my job. I hate my church. I hate this. I hate how these people think. I hate my neighborhood. I, all that hating stuff that we do. Guys, I'll tell you this. That stuff is demonic. Some, we, we call it us. But, I, <laughs> but that's not God. We're made in the image of God. <laughs> we reflect and show who God is. So when we hear those things coming up in us that way, fr coming from that spirit, we're supposed to recognize that's not me. It sounds like me, but that's not me. That's not me. And what did Jesus do? He answered it. What's that mean? You hear that stupid stuff coming up in your head, all those accusations? You're supposed to answer that stuff. You're supposed to stop it. When you're talking about, I hate my body, you're supposed to say something like, no, this body is good. If you, you might not have a scripture, so you would say, no, this body's fine. I think um, it could be way worse. <laughs> if you got scripture, you would say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully. You and I, we're supposed to answer it because if we don't answer it, we get caught in that autopilot. We go on cruise control in our limited thinking. We go on cruise control in how we see our resources and what God has afforded to us. And then what do we end up doing? We settle and then we, we pretty much fade away. We're not really living because we've already pre-decided that our lack, our limits are, are going to be how we live our life. And that is dangerous. So Jesus said, somebody say, answer it. Yeah, can somebody say it loud? Somebody say, answer it. answer it. You're supposed to hear a lie and you're supposed to say, that's a lie. You, that might be all you might be able to say at the time. My parents don't love me. That's a lie. My wife doesn't love me. That's a lie. Jesus answered it. There are some things that, re, that deserve a response. Because if they don't get a response, they become how we see life and how we see ourselves, And it's anti-God. So I verbally do this. Jesus, he spoke. You hear something. I hate this, da 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 da, da. I speak. I say, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. I, I, I will not permit that to be a part of how I see life or how I see people. I will not allow that. Somebody say, answer it. When God is knocking at our door and challenging us, it's a challenge to us, but he already knows. Hey, you're going to do it. I've already said you're going to do this. You got this. You got it. <laughs> 
He already knows we got it. We have to agree with him. We have to answer. We might not have some, all these million and one scripture, but we can say, that's a lie. Or God, that's not you. Say something. And then if that thing keeps hitting you, hear me. If that thing keeps hitting you, you better tell somebody. You better, you better tell somebody. If you answering that lie, if it keeps coming and you're answering it, you bring somebody else into that narrative. Oh, this, this situation, I hate this. Um, uh, my parents don't love me. This, uh, these lies, whatever. Bring somebody in on the conversation. If you get to a place and you're answering, you're saying, no, that's a lie. That's not the truth. And it's still coming. Somebody say, bring somebody in. Bring somebody in. Bring somebody in. Yeah, Derek Dancer and Laura, Lauren Epp. <laughs> answer. Answer it. Answer it. In closing, Psalm 1611 tells us, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what happens as we trust God with every part of our life. As we trust God, as we follow through on the things that he says, we say, oh, now I get how people love you so much. Because they trust you. People who enjoy God and who enjoy God's presence are the ones that trust God. Some people aren't experiencing the joy of God or the happiness of God or the ultimate blessedness of God, depending on how deep you guys want to go with it, because they're not trusting God. <laughs> so they don't get how you enjoy God. I can't enjoy someone I don't trust. You can't enjoy somebody you don't trust. You be looking at them like, wait a minute now. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But all of the internal blessings, rewards, wisdom, truth, mercy, and all that stuff shows up in our life too. It shows up in how we trust God. That comes because, Lord, I want to trust you with all my resources, not just with money or with time in everything. I want to trust you and I want to practice trusting you and seeing what it's like to do life with you so that you would work your miracles. You will work your miracles through me. When limitations become invitations to God, then the party really gets started. Can you imagine being there that day and having the multitudes be fed from five loaves and two fish? God had showed up in the picture, and the people were able to feast. Ooh, I like that wind. When limitations become invitation, God, come into my marriage. I want everybody to just repeat after me. Somebody, everybody, everybody repeat after me. Say, God. Come into my marriage. God, come into my thinking. God, come into my finances. God, come into my spirit. Any place there's limitation, the Jesus follower is supposed to go, God, this is an invitation for you to show up strong and mighty. Strong and mighty. Now, I want to invite you all to stand. Well, hold on. Let me say that better. I want to invite you to stand to receive strength. I, I, I'm not going to lay hands on and do all that kind of stuff today. I love that stuff. But we're not going to do it because all the I'm trying to be good with the COVID stuff. So if you would like, if you, hey, this word is resonating with you. You're receiving this word in your heart. I want to be able to put blessing on you and just agree with you for the receiving of strength. There's some challenges you have been backing down from because you didn't know that God was going to meet you with his strength. There's situations and conversations you're not having in your marriage because you didn't know that God was going to meet you with his strength. Wherever you are, wherever you are, I just want to declare that the spirit of Christ that we see in the ox, hey, would hit the people, that would hit our hearts, and that we would do great exploits in his name because he's doing a great exploit in our heart. 
So God, I thank you for these, your people. I thank you that we get to be here like this and that we're not defined by our limitations, but we're defined by how awesome you are. We're defined by what you said and what you said is what matters. What you said is truth. And so I thank you that as my brothers and sisters are here right now in this moment, I thank you that you are increasing joy, that you are increasing encouragement, that scales and that trauma and that things that have blocked and limited us are moving away from us. Things that have hindered us in our walk with you. Things that have hindered us in our walk with one another. I thank you, God, by your spirit, by your power, that those things are being blown away and that we're moving in the momentum of Christ. That we're like the spirit of the ox who is lowly and gentle and who does the real work. Hey, who is not looking for fame or glory but who's looking to hear well done from you. And I thank you God for the increase that you're bringing because every time you show us about this ox, it is always about harvest. It is always about increase. And so I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have toiled for so long and have not seen harvest. I thank you that they're able to continue on in their well-doing. I thank you that parents would be strengthened, that marriages would be strengthened, that business owners would be strengthened, that you would be glorified as we look to you and look to you alone. God, we can't wait to see how many wonderful things you will do in the life of each person here, of each household, of this church collectively. We're going to look back and say, look what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just wherever you are, if you want to just lift your hands, 